Hello, I'm Joshua Groisberg, a history enthusiast. And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way. And now back to part two of our interview with the unprofessional analysts. I mean, let's talk about Georgia. Uh, Rafael Warnock, he won against the incumbent Kelly Leffer in the special election runoff. Ossoff was confirmed to have won against in the regular election runoff against David Perdue. What, were you, what are you guys' reactions? I was uh, watching the polls. I was watching CNN. I was watching, you know, I switch between different news channels. But uh, I was up there from until polls closed at 7 all the way to 12 o'clock to midnight. And, you know, obvious trends were there. You obviously saw first red counties were coming in, and Purdue and Leffler were looking really good. And then in a very democratic county, DeKalb County in Georgia, which is near Atlanta, very blue, they were planning on releasing a massive batch of votes. So almost immediately, like at 11.30, there was like a massive turn where Warnock completely exceeded Leffler, and that continued towards the end. Same end. Ossoff had been trailing Purdue by a lot, and with that new, you know, bunch of votes, they were 50-50. They were at a virtual tie for an entire hour, and it was extremely, not even for an hour, overnight they were 50-50 virtual tie. It was extremely close. We thought Warnock, you know, had a realistic chance, but we did think that David Purdue would win re-election, because he's reliable, the Georgian people know him, and Georgia's still a very Republican state. So I was personally surprised of Ossoff's victory. And, you know, diversity is fantastic because Georgia has its first black senator and its first Jewish senator. For, for me, I, I agree. I, I agree as well because I, I actually did think that Purdue might have had a shot at winning this because of that, you know, overnight tie. You know, it was, I slept late last, I was 2, 2 a.m. It was still 50-50 when I was checking NPR. So, um, it was, it was really tense and like, like, like what Josh said, you know, I, I was, Surprised when I saw that John also was able to claim victory today. Well, uh, for me, um, well, yes, I, I was surprised uh, because you know it was uh, somewhat unexpected that Democrats would win both seats. Uh, but then also uh, currently, because Democrats controls the entire federal government, uh, Senate, the House, and presidency, I believe that there may be some reform going on in the conservative side, and also. As we've seen already, it's that the party, uh, Republican Party, is already having some uh, breaking up inside. You have the Republicans who support Trump, Republicans who don't support Trump. So with Republicans not able to win any sector of the government, I think they will undergo a reform within their own party. What do you got? What are you guys thinking for like in the short term? Now that uh, it's going to be majority leader Schumer probably relying on uh, uh, vi- uh, Vice President Elect Harris to make a few tie-breaking votes and uh, more moderate or uh, more institutionalist Republicans such as Mitt Romney. What 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 are, what are you thinking in terms of what Biden wants to do and how 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 it all go down? Well, uh, first of all, I think uh, as Biden said, uh, first he's gonna. Impose like an 100 day of mask order. Uh, and then as of, uh, I see. So first of all, he has to solve the, the issue of COVID and unemployment, 
in which I don't see it being solved very soon because you have uh, such large amount of infected uh, people and also unemployment is very high. And from my perspective, you're going to try to uh, contain COVID first. And then when you're trying to solve the unemployment, that means you need huge amounts of money. And America, uh, economically, is very dependent on the service sector, which people will find like restaurants to work in. But then those small places that went down during uh, COVID, it's going to be really hard to get them started again. They will probably need federal aid or else they can't start up their business again. So that's another uh, issue that Biden has to face. And then uh, internationally, uh, Biden is trying is going to try to fix uh, the relationship between U.S. and Western Europe or just Europe in general. And uh, so Trump had a policy where, you know, U.S. was shrinking, I say like shrinking, like pulling troops back. Uh, and, you know, I think Biden might go a different way. Biden may start to just expand U.S. influence more. I mean, I think economically on, on what you said, um, I think there will be higher tax rates in general. You know, because we are just in such a, the deficit has increased. We're in so much debt. And, uh, I think Biden will have to raise taxes to support the political ambitions that he has. And with, you know, Democratic Congress now, I think that'll be pretty likely. But, uh, I'm especially happy because, uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, who has been the leader of the Senate for a very long time, he's gone. I mean, I mean, he'll still be in the Senate, but he won't have nearly as much power as he had before. And, I'm so happy because he has used his power to do some truly despicable things during the Trump administration. And while there's good news on that front, I I am, you know, in terms of 2022 and with the midterm elections, Democrats are barely holding on to the House at this point with, I think, a 13-seat lead. And since the party of the president-elect always suffers in the midterm, usually, the House may go red uh, sometime soon. So we'll see about that. But in general, I don't think Americans don't like to see a single party control the entire federal government, so it might, it might be a good thing. And also, uh, speaking of taxes, well, yes, uh, from government side, uh, they will want to increase tax because right now we see the U.S. debt is about $27 billion. We compare that with uh, GDP from 2019. The U.S. had a $21 billion GDP. So uh, put that into perspective. You have to not eat or not do anything for an entire year and you still can't pay back the debt. So, yes, from the government side, you have to raise taxes. But then as we go through this unemployment and COVID uh, situation, can people really undergo higher taxes? I think that's another problem that you know the Biden administration has to consider. I agree with um, what Nihon said. Bringing up what Joshua said about um, how Biden would have to impose would have to call for higher taxes with the element of COVID-19 and, and all the problems that it brings along with it. I think that Biden will have to hold back on some of his political ambitions. Um, for instance, his, his proposed, uh, his proposed healthcare plans, um, Biden care, I think is what he called it, in which he, I think he's proposing a public option. So I think he's going to have to put some of that on hold his other political ambitions as well because of COVID-19 and, 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 you know, all the other factors that travel along with it. And also, um, another possible, I'm not saying that it's going to happen or anything, but 
a possible solution to all these unemployment and stuff. So if we look back to 1929, the Great Depression, and then we saw that World War II came pretty much right after it. And then U.S. earned a lot of money during World War II because uh, there were some weapons and stuff. So I think maybe it's possible for U.S. to start engaging in some other conflicts or uh, wars, you know, to for the industrial complex uh, to, you know, start hiring people again and to start uh, circulating the money. You know, it's 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 possible, you know, uh, to start a war or to join a war. We're technically in a war against the pan against the virus. I mean, we, we pull a lot of our uh, unemployment, and we put that towards Defense Production Act, and we, you know, we could have already been out of this if the government already, you know, when we had a ventilator shortage or we had testing shortage, we could have gotten we got to use the Defense Production Act to basically get companies to put factories to work to get people hire people to build the damn tests and to build the damn ventilators. And didn't Trump order that, that though? On a very small scale. Oh, like when he eventually did, it wasn't as it wasn't as you know big as as many as many wanted. But you know, since we're not past that, Biden has an opportunity to really use it to more or less help with PPE because hospitals are still struggling with it. Even looking past the pandemic, we're look at the infrastructure. I mean, we are trillions of dollars in debt, and we can't. And our infrastructure is crumbling. Our roads, our trains, our bridges. Not every is falling apart in middle America and uh, across the country. So, so if we go, if we have this mass, you know, labor force that's out of work due to coal and due to oil and due to uh, manufacturing, put it to work. I mean, we and we did that before with the Great Depression. I mean, you're right, you're you're right to bring the Great Depression, and we're suffering major crises right now. And in these crises, be really the uh, big um, ways like World War Two. Get out of this slump. Get out of this. What are we in recession, depression, whatever this is. I see that I see the parallels drawn between World War Two and uh, battle against the coronavirus. With in World War Two was production of tanks, aircraft, machine guns, etc. And you know nowadays it's with ventilators and tests and equipment for nurses working on the front lines. But I really hope that just with you, you know, in the aftermath of World War Two under the Eisenhower administration, there was really a period of economic prosperity. You know, the fifties, and I'm really hoping that. Biden, if he invokes this act, is able to, you know, kind of stimulate an economic boom that keeps America well supplied and well situated for a very long period of time. And part of the argument like, about this is that the fifties had that the top marginal tax rate, income taxes, it was ninety percent. So as much as we were like, okay, our ta- our higher taxes gonna backfire or, or are we gonna or, or should we discuss that? If we're gonna replicate, say, the post World War Two boom we're going to have to make choices about what the taxes are and, and what and what we do tax. I mean, are we going to raise income taxes? Are we going to are we going to try to introduce new taxes like a like a financial transactions or digital services? Are we going to talk about closing loopholes? I mean, there's all sorts of stuff we can do, but it, it depends on. I mean, that could get us out of the boom. That could get that could get us in like a boom, but it depends on where the political situation is going to allow for that conversation to even happen. It just the problem of all this is that ultimately. The top 0.1%, the billionaires, we need to get them to pay their fair share, right? Because billionaires use, they have very good lawyers. They use a variety of legal methods to hide their wealth and avoid, you know, paying what they need to pay. So, you know, while the burden on the top, you know, 1% may increase, right, with more taxes and higher tax rates, how will that affect, you know, billionaires who need to ultimately pay more? 
Oh yeah, I I agree with you. You know, billionaires they don't need that much money. Uh, and you know, you are a billionaire. You don't need one billion to survive in this world. You you just need not 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 even a couple million. And I'm sure you can, you know, give some of those money, uh, to help those in. Well, I mean, I'm personally in favor of billionaires keeping, you know, a good part of their wealth. But even then, they just pay a very, very, very small share of what they earn in income. Yeah. So I just think that they need to pay more of what they, you know, pay more what they earn in income in general. It's not a crime to be wealthy. It's simply yeah. not. But the real, the real argument, if you have so much money, at least pay your fair share to society. And that's what we've agreed on in democracy and in and what we call for a developed country that has a robust tax system. And while the tax system needs to be updated, and obviously to reflect that and then basically convince billion, or Chris, a lot of these billionaires and all these companies, tech companies that store the money in Ireland, the Cayman Islands, we need to really reinforce that notion of pay your fair share without sounding like you're going to alienate even more or less the middle class or the more the working class that benefit from such policies. Moreover, the American people, which, you know, pays hard, you know, hard won earnings and taxes, they need to be convinced by the government that ultimately the taxes they give to the government are being used for a good purpose, that the government isn't just wasting it. And frankly, we're not seeing that right now. I mean, we have a massive deficit. Our defense budget is through the roof. We're funneling, you know, money into projects that have dead ends. The government needs to radically change the way they spend money. Yeah, um, as you mentioned, the military budgets. So, um, I was doing research on this uh, a few weeks ago, and I remember that, you know, U.S. Uh, spends more than the next 10 countries combined. Uh, so that's, and, uh, if, if we're saying that U.S. needs to keep all these troops overseas, then yes, you need all these money. But does, does the U.S. really need to keep all these troops overseas? And, uh, as we've seen, uh, you know, uh, wars in the Middle East. It's been 20 years, and it doesn't benefit the U.S. Right? What What do you get? Well, you get oil, but you're spending more than what you get. And do you really need to keep military bases all around the world in East Asia, in Europe? Do Do you really need to maintain all these world influences? So, uh, I think another way that uh, if Biden wants to, you know, help to alleviate this coronavirus or this unemployment is that he can reduce the amount of military spending and use that money to help small businesses or help the unemployed. I think that would be a better solution, maybe. Or I agree with you to a certain extent, Young. I mean, so, you know, I don't think that the United States should have these many military elements, for lack of a better term, deployed all throughout the world. But I do... I, I do think that gov- the U.S. government isn't going to want to give up its place as, you know, a world leader. And, nor, and if they don't want to give it up, they don't want to give up their sphere of influence, which is established through military dominance through, you know, having military elements deployed throughout, you know, throughout the world. But I do think that, you know, as, as a lot of people may agree, that there does need to be some cutting of, of military spending. Do you guys have any thoughts about the, uh, stimulus that was, that was passed a few weeks ago? We saw that, you know, Democrats wants to pass a stimulus bill and some, uh, Republicans don't want to pass a stimulus bill. And, uh, I, I understand the argument from both sides. You know, Democrats, they want to help people to, uh, 
hopefully with this little amount of money trying to get through this crisis. And then Republicans, um, I think their concern is more about uh, the U.S. debt and um, about U.S. bonds. So uh, according to the U.S. Treasury, about 70% of the U.S. bonds is held by American citizens. And, and, and we know that if you print a lot of money, your money depreciates. And if your money depreciates, the bond that the American people hold depreciates. So I think that's what the Republicans were thinking. And, and, and also uh, another thing is that internationally, you know, a, a, a lot of countries hold U.S. bonds. And if you print too much money, they will sell th- those bonds and they will no longer hold them. And, and then if the countries, other countries sell all their bonds, the U.S. dollar will no longer act as a uh, world currency. It will no longer have its financial uh, hegemonic status. So I think that's what the Republicans were thinking. And then also going back to Democrats, you know, do you really think that $600 can really do that much? So going back to $600 um, and the $2,000 proposed idea, um, Mitch McConnell called it, called the $2,000 idea socialism. Uh, I know for a fact that $600 is not enough to, to, to live on. Um, I mean, I live in Southern California, which is one of the most expensive places to live in the world. Um, and I also live relatively, or I live in, I live close to East LA, which is a very low income community, and $600 isn't going to get anybody anywhere, uh, at least in California. And I, what I think is, I think it's, I think it's better to, to, you know, to have a $2,000 stimulus check because that $2,000 stimulus check at least ensures that people are going to be able to survive. Those that are, you know, in low income communities, they're relieved of the stress of, of food insecurity and, you know, whether or not they can get to work even. You know, Mitch McConnell was, you know, it's just interesting, you know, with all the stimulus to see Donald Trump aligned with the Democrats of all people. You know, he's attacked them relentlessly throughout all, throughout all of his presidency, and now he's um, siding with them on $2,000 rather than siding with his, uh, Republicans. And it just goes to show that um, Trump is, you know, does as he pleases, right? He doesn't exactly commit to a single political side. It's always been that way, and it just shows that Trump is more of a populist than anything else. But uh, with Mitch McConnell now really leaving his position as Senate Majority Leader and giving away all the power he once had, we'll see how future congressional actions go from the Democrats to really combat this pandemic. The uh, story that was uh, overshadowed was that uh, it was announced that Biden will nominate appeals court judge uh, Merrick Garland to be the attorney general. What's interesting about that is that Garland was originally nominated by President Obama in 2016 to replace the late Antonin Scalia, who died in February 2016. McConnell blocked the nomination, didn't even put it for vote, because uh, the argument was that it was too close to the election of 2016. And that seat would remain open until uh, Trump nominated Neil Gorsuch uh, in 2017, and the case re- and that type of situation reopened later with the late RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, died just about a month before the election, and was faced by Amy Coney Barrett just weeks later. Well, first of all, um, I like Mary Garland. He was very moderate, kind of like Anthony Ketke. I really think he was robbed of a position that he definitely deserved. He definitely was qualified to be in the Supreme Court. So I'm glad that at least Biden is giving him a job as Attorney General. I think he'll be great there, and I don't think he's really all that controversial. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with Joshua because, you know, with the fact that, that Mayor Garland is moderate, he's, again, he's not that controversial. He's, he was robbed of, you know, a position on the Supreme Court. And comparing that situation with the late Antonin Scalia and, and that of the late Justice Ginsburg, it just, that situation is just an example of, you know, I'm I'm just hoping whatever happens with the uh, Trump family, whatever happens with what uh, the crimes committed in his administration, I hope Garland gets to see it fit that it's done professionally and cleanly. It's done without it goes off without a hitch. Johan, Julian, thank you so much for joining us. If you guys have anything else you want to say, uh, no, just uh, thank you for inviting us. It's been a pleasure here talking with you too. Thank you so much for having us. So our listeners, make sure to uh, check out the Unprofessional Analyst podcast on Spotify. And that concludes this episode of Gen Zero Stock Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zero Stock Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zero Stock Poly with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time. <laughs>